every girl's summer dream. Lifeguard. Have you made love with many girls? Hi. Hi. Hey, hi. Aren't you a lifeguard down at the beach? Can I buy you a drink? Did you what they say about stewardesses? Yeah, nurses, secretaries, and school teachers. <laughs> Nobody's better in bed than I am. Ben Reiser, welcome to another episode of 70 Movies in the Set. Wait, did you ever count to four, Scott? I, I did count did. to four, yeah. yeah. <laughs> did I, and I did too, didn't I? Yeah, yes, you did. Let's try it again. Um, uh, you know, I'm recording this. No, that's all right. You know, <laughs> we, we can be uh, casual. We're recording this not in the middle of the night. I haven't been drinking, but man, am I punchy. Good. I've already recorded two other podcasts today, including another one with my co-host Scott Lucas, the Scott Lucas of Local H. Oh, and you're Scott the Ben Riser, right? Uh, I am the only Ben Riser that I personally know, but occasionally, like some asshole will write me and say, "Oh, you got Ben Riser at Gmail? Can I have that? You know, how much do you want for that? <laughs> how much do you want for it? <laughs> yeah." Uh, well, we started another podcast, and yeah, tell them all about it. So we've been uh, we started another podcast, and we've we've been the Lifers <laughs> podcast, and we've been uh, we've been doing other podcasts other than this seventies thing. So it feels like we haven't stopped talking to each other, but it it's been a while since we've done something about a seventies movie, even though yeah. it hasn't been that long. But it feels like forever since we talked about. Oh God. Right. It's been maybe it's been a little over 2 weeks. So that is that is long. It I mean it's not long. Whatever. Anyway, yes, we've started a new podcast. It's sort of music centric. So we don't have to talk about music on this one well, anymore. Well, we will. No, no, no. We don't have to talk about <laughs> no more music on this podcast. Unless well, it's unless we're, you know, watching uh I don't know. 
We have What's to do our Michael Kamen episode. Star is Born. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you, the movie we're talking about today has some, I wrote, squiggly synths. <laughs> there are some oh. squiggly synths in the soundtrack. You know, it's funny that we started a podcast called The Lifers Podcast, because this is a lifers type of movie. Uh, you, you really picked the proper movie. You know what? I was just realizing that today. I was like, this this isn't really that far off from a story about somebody who decides they're gonna <laughs> they're just not at gonna all. go play rock music for for their for not their. at all, man. This movie hits close <laughs> to home for me. Yeah, I'm, okay, we'll get to that shortly. But the movie we're gonna talk about today uh, is Lifeguard from 1976. Yeah, a movie that I saw in 1976 at the ripe old age of 10. Nice. Uh, I saw it twice in a movie theater. I saw it at the Midwood Theater on Avenue J in Brooklyn, um, which at some point I feel like they started charging just whatever year it was. So in like 1977, it was like 77 cents to get in. Wow. Um, yeah. Something like that. Uh, but I want to say... Not only is this movie rated PG, which is sort of like insane, still kind of like you, you kind of feel like you get dizzy when you think about it. Um, but God bless PG movies in the 1970s and what the concept for, because as we talked about a little maybe in one of our other episodes, I think maybe the Invasion of the Body Snatchers episode, like PG did not mean it was geared towards. People under the age of 13 or whatever. Right. It didn't right. mean anything, I don't think. I don't know what it meant, because there's more nudity in this movie than there are in most of the R-rated movies that are released these days. Totally. Like, during the first that first uh, roll in the hay, I was like, this is not PG. This can't be PG. And yeah, it is. And, and I want to say... I, oh, go ahead. No, no I mean... On top of that, it, it's not a kids movie, but it no, but it's like I grew up with this movie. You grew up with this movie. Everybody I knew know who grew up with this movie has fond memories of it, as almost like it's a a kids movie, but it's not, and it, and it has no like kid um, concerns. You know what I mean? It's a total adult movie. Yeah, the closest it comes to flirting with being geared towards teenagers or uh, adolescents are those kids on the beach the kid named machine gun right who, who i think is gonna get beat up by drug dealers at some and i think i think sounds that's a like drug they, deal gone bad yeah it sounds like they want his pot they're like i know you got some in your pocket i think they think he's got pot and he's oh okay yeah i guess i thought that maybe they he owed them money like he bought drugs from them and then was welching on the deal that's or what like i that. thought but at one point one of them says you've got some, i know you've got some in your pocket and maybe, maybe they're talking money. about money though yeah, yeah you're right you're right it feels like they want his pot though right but i want to say even and like you just were alluding to as a 10 year old i was totally into this movie mm-hmm. i saw it twice because i could uh-huh because it was a short walk to that theater, and that's what was playing for a couple of weeks. And I was like, "Yeah, I'm going to go see Lifeguard again." How like, many shit? How many? When you were a kid, how many shitty movies did you see twice? A million. Because the next week, yeah, the movie was still playing. Like I saw King of the Hill. Tw- 
twice when I was. Do you know King that of the Hill? Soderbergh thing? No, 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 no. The Harry Hamlin movie. Uh, oh, look it up. It. One of the worst movies I've ever seen. And even then, I knew it as a kid, and I went to see it twice. But uh, I'm sorry to cut you off. Go on. No, that's fine. I'll, I was going to try. I think for some reason, when people ask me that question, like, what was the shittiest movie that you saw probably more than once just because it was there? Maybe Mr. Billion? Ooh, Mr. I, Billions? I don't know that. Terrence Young? I think it's an Italian movie that get got dubbed and fuck knows i don't know there were there were many of them like there are see there are some other movies that this movie reminds me of not that i've watched those other movies lately but there's that harrison ford movie called heroes yeah um these movies don't get made anymore nope i mean this is because this is not this is a drama and it's not a melodrama it's a drama that is so fucking low stakes. And I w- we were talking about this once earlier on in my podcast history when we were doing that movie, Jeremy, Robbie Benson movie from 73, mm-hmm. <laughs> where it's just about a high school romance. Like, the, and, and, and no, nothing really happens in it. Nobody dies. Nobody gets killed. Nobody, you know, commits suicide. Nothing. And, and that's what this movie reminds me of is like, I can't imagine... A major studio. This is the kind of movie that would maybe get made as an indie these days. Maybe. But even an indie, I feel, would push the melodrama at like five different points in this movie where this movie doesn't bother upping the stakes at all. Right. Or or else it would like like the the, uh, the, the part where they're having the sort of triathlon where they're swimming. Mm-hmm. Like that yeah, would somebody be the, would die. That would right. be the end of the movie. Like <laughs> yes. that would be, you know, the emotional rocky payoff. It's right in the middle, and it really, it just, it's low-key, like, just illustrates that he's not a young man anymore, and it just, and it moves on. Yeah. It's not a big deal. And in fact, like, the two scenes in this movie that flirt with being more dramatic, and I don't want to, we're going to get into this, I'm, I'm going to try to sort of be orderly about this, but All right. we're gonna, we'll, let's well, jump let's into get- the... Let's get into our new rule for this, uh, because oh, yeah. I think this is I think this is a great rule, and I think it's key. To yeah, we're we're gonna we're only gonna talk about movies at, at a maximum for the running time of that movie. So lifeguard clocks in at ninety six minutes. Okay, how long so have we been talking now? Eleven minutes. <laughs> we have not been talking for eleven minutes. Yes, we have. Only eleven minutes. My, yeah, it's coming up on twelve. Oh my god, I need more coffee. You better stop it with the coffee. Scott was revealing on another podcast this morning that he uh, has suddenly become a coffee drinker. I, you know, I guess that's what happens. But I, I did an interview just now, and I didn't have coffee, and I blanked on the word. Oh, I just did it again. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with coffee. Well, that's good to know. Vaccine. I blanked on the word vaccine for for what felt like ten minutes, but apparently it wasn't. It was probably one second if we've only been talking for eleven minutes. But we can only talk for 96, 96 minutes. minutes. I think it's And we don't have to. We don't have to don't go have that to. far. But right. we've got a hard stop, as Gabe Rodriguez would say. A hard out. No, that's not what he says. <laughs> I know, but I, <laughs> he I doesn't understand. Hard out. He didn't know what hard out was. What the hell's a hard out? <laughs> I said hard stop. Okay. <laughs> um, Okay, I just just we're gonna get to them in detail, but I want to say the scene where he goes to his parents' house and his dad is berating him. Yeah, and then the scene in the art gallery towards the end. Those are the those are my two least favorite scenes in the movie, and it's not because they're the writing; it's just because they elevate the 
the stakes. Dr- the drama. The stakes. Yeah, the stakes get elevated through performance. The father is like yelling at him, and then, you know, the 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 art gallery thing is just sort of too sort of like obvious and like right. p- played for tension in a sort of a. And if they had just kept those two scenes at the same pitch and tone as the rest of the movie, I I would say that in its own way, this is like a perfect movie. But um, uh, <laughs> so Lifeguard, 1976. I, I don't have a scene by scene breakdown because I feel like there isn't really enough plot to to, right. to, to make it worth it. But let's I, I'm going to try to just do a one minute summary of the movie and you remind me of things that I'm forgetting okay. to say. Sam Elliott plays a 32 year old lifeguard on a California beach. Um who and and we follow him through one summer as a lifeguard. Right. Uh and during that summer he trains a new lifeguard played by Hardy Boy himself, Parker Stevenson. Parker. Pretty guy, uh, not a good actor. Yeah, and also a weird looking guy now. I looked him up in like current day pictures and I'm like, oh he has got a sort of a space alien look about oh, him. No, that's too bad. Point. Yeah. Also sort of like a Never mind. Uh, and also during the course of this summer, he meets um, Kathleen Quinlan playing a, a girl named Wendy who develops a crush on him. And they have they develop a relationship of sorts. Uh, yeah. Illegal and awkward as it might be. Yeah. Uh, he goes to his 15-year high school reunion and hooks back up with his high school sweetheart, kind of, uh, played by Ann Archer. Yeah. And what I would have thought, whoa. I mean, she looks young. And I was like, oh, is this the beginning of Ann Archer's career? But no, looking today, I was like, well, she's already like five years into making movies at this point. Right. Um, And then also bumps into another high school pal who works at a Porsche dealership who convinces him to uh, become a Porsche salesman. So he flirts with the idea of leaving his career as a lifeguard and becoming a car salesman. Uh, have I left any plot points out? Plot points? This movie doesn't I mean, need plot points. <laughs> refund? Uh, refund? Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, is that that's as far as you want to get. I mean, th- there's. I mean, that's pr- pretty much it. You know, and, it, and and so it's it's about it's about a possible turning point in this guy's life. He has. He's never really grown up, grown into adulthood, as they like to say, in right. and out of the movies. I mean, when the first time when I watched this movie and, and you picked this movie and we were doing the Life First podcast, I was like, oh man, this movie is going to make me feel bad. And I'm watching it and I just like, I felt bad. You know, I felt like this is the kind of movie that I was like, this is the kind of movie that makes me feel like a loser. And then I, I, I watched it again and I was like, no, this doesn't make me feel like a loser at all. This guy's got a code. This guy knows what he wants out of life and he's not going to be forced to get in the rat race and you know he's he's uh healthy and he looks good and and he's you know and then i started thinking about that after watching the second time and started thinking about it and i realized no no it's it's a little bit of both you know there's some loser issues and there's also like 
you know, maybe he's not a loser. It, it really doesn't take a stand. Um, I mean, you know, you were asking if I ever thought about writing a movie before. I swear to God, yeah. if, if I was going to write a movie, it would be like this movie. It, it reminds me of one of my favorite movies, Trees Lounge with Steve Buscemi. Yeah. And he wrote and directed that. I love that movie. And I think, you know, aside from the cheesy montage scenes, there's so many montage is montages in this movie. And it really just, it takes away any gravity that the movie accumulates. Um, but Trees Lounge is kind of a Trees Lounge thing. Like, Trees Lounge is a perfect movie in my mind. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, there there is certain certainly deals with some of those same issues, you know. Steve Buscemi, I met him a couple times. It's weird. But the, the, I'll just tell you the story of he used to live in the apartment above two of my band members back when I was in Brooklyn and I was in this band called All About Chad, named after the bass player in our band, <laughs> Chad, as a way of sort of making him feel special. Placating him? Uh, yeah, placating him. Yeah. I don't know if you know anything about that in your career. As, <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> you've placated band members in your time. Uh, but um, uh, I did. And, um, but, but, uh, Steve Buscemi lived on, uh, in the apartment above, uh, my guitar player, Asif, and our drummer, Jason. And at some point, he loaned a bunch of VHS, like, Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences movies that were, like, being, that had been, I guess, were up for Oscars that year. And so everyone who's in the Academy gets, like, you know, I think they were VHS. Maybe they were DVDs. I think it was old. I think it was old enough that it was VHS. Mm-hmm. And he had a bunch of them, and he gave them to Asif and Jason to watch. And then I was at their apartment once, and I asked if I could borrow one of them, and they said no. But then I took one anyway, <laughs> and then they found out, and we almost broke up as a band because uh, I had borrowed. Uh, I think it was some Woody Allen movie or something that I hadn't seen. Anyway, Steve and Steve Buscemi lived upstairs when this whole thing was going on. Yes, and he's the one who gave them the, the videotapes. Oh, so he gave them the screeners. The Trees he gave Lounge, them the screeners. Trees Lounge wasn't, wasn't one of the screeners. No, 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 no. This was before Trees Lounge. Okay. What year was Trees Lounge? 95, 96? Yeah, it was before. It was only a couple of years before that. Maybe he was working on Trees Lounge at the time. Yeah, probably. You know, Steve Buscemi is in, uh, what's the name of that movie? It's uh, oh, it's called the King of Staten Island. Have you heard of this oh, movie? Oh shit! Yeah, I'm only in it for Bill Burr. Oh, you didn't get to the Steve Buscemi part. I didn't get to Steve Buscemi. Oh, see, well, you you watched up. the whole thing, huh? Yeah, yeah, I think You're a better so. Better man than I. Yeah, Dan. You know, it's it's a lot like uh, Lifeguard. No, it's nothing <laughs> like Lifeguard. It kind of is. It's kind of like Lifeguard. But is it that? Am it's I, kind of. I had this story right. Did Pete Davidson's father die in 9-11? He did, but this but, movie... And then, but in this fictional version, that they don't bring in 9-11. No, they do bring in 9-11. But oh, in the fictional do. version, his dad is a fireman. Uh, and Pete Davidson's dad was not a fireman. It was, he, was, he was working in the building. Um, oh. so, okay. so they just bring yeah. in the fireman stuff. And you know, we, we can speculate why... They decided to do that, uh, but it certainly if makes it more heroic. Nice, yeah, don't yeah, say anything not, about Pete Davis. Um, 
Did Chris Rock make a 9-11 movie? I don't think so. They're all 9-11. But somebody did. Adam Sandler has a 9-11 movie, doesn't he? Uh, yes. It's called, uh, it's called The Wedding Singer. <laughs> I thought it was 51st Dates. <laughs> Is he in that <laughs> right. one? I don't even know what the... F- right. I, one I, of these I'm days I've got to see World Trade Center. I... I I don't know how it is or why it is. I still haven't seen World Trade Center, but I have to see that movie. You're an Oliver Stone completist. I uh, yes, thank you, sir. I am. I absolutely am. I think even at his worst, it's 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 pretty good. I think you're right. Maybe that football movie is, has is, has no value to me. Oh my Any god, that Sunday. football movie, Any Given Sunday, has so much value. That is a great, great movie. That is. That might be the best Oliver Stone movie ever made, as well as the most Oliver Stone movie ever made. Hmm. I can't tell with you. I'm but still trying to figure out whether you might like King of Staten Island after all. So am I. It's, it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy. Uh, natural, natural Born Killers was the Oliver Stone movie that made me mad. Like I walked oh, out yeah. of the theater, I was like, I hate you, motherfucker. Oh, yeah. That is, that is a worthless piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, and you're talking, and I'm talking about any given Sunday as a Ted Lasso fan, which you won't even watch because it's uh, Jason Sudeikis, Sudeikis, or whatever his name is. You don't like him, but yeah, I'm not a Jason Sudeikis fan. I don't I'm not like, I don't like cutesy pie comedian people that were on Saturday Night Live. I hate yeah. it. I think it's the worst, the lowest form of comedy is cutesy pie comedy. I despise it. And, you know, you've got, like, Pete Davidson on there. And every time he comes on Saturday Night Live, the whole place goes nuts. I'm like, why? Like, when has he done anything <laughs> funny? You know, so he's dated somebody and he's got, uh, he's got some kind of disease. I, I just, like, I don't give a fuck. But meanwhile, poor, poor what's-his-face, uh, who does Baby Yoda, Kyle Mooney. Oh, what? Poor Kyle Mooney is always coming up with the greatest most off-the-wall funny shit, but because he doesn't have some celebrity relationship, nobody gives a shit about this guy. I don't know. I've never baby... even heard his name. I don't oh. even... He, does he do a Baby Yoda thing on, on SNL? He does a Baby Yoda thing on SNL, and it, it oh. is great. It is, it is one of the best things. Uh, wow. He does it on the, the How news. How this? The Weekend Update Fucking thing. A. Oh, it's good. Just look it up. It, it, he is so good, and he's got all these bits that are just... He's the guy who's always coming up with the most uh, outre bits on Saturday Night Live. All right. I'm going to have to check him out. Oh, yeah. He's, he's worth something. But Did we talk but he about... Get, good shit. Not that we talk about music on this thing, but I don't remember. I don't think we have. I don't think I've... I think I was afraid to ask you about Phoebe Bridgers for a while. And then I thought I saw you say something nice about her at some point. Yeah. That she's guitar rock or something. But, but did, you, did you have a stance on this ridiculous non-controversy of her goofing around and busting a guitar at the end of her I had a stance where I was watching it and thought that's not how you break a guitar Uh, (laughs) yeah you know that's as far as it went I wasn't going to go on Twitter and go (laughs) that's not how you smash a guitar y'all got to hold it here you got to do that you know I mean I I had a slight problem with whoever talked her into wiring up the uh, the monitor so it would like have like a little yeah. Explosions. That wasn't cool. Somebody talked her into that. That's not her fault. I don't blame her for that. And even well, if I, I did, just who think, gives a fuck? Right. But for me, I've been watching her 
do these appearances all year long. She's one of these people like you who has had an album to promote all through the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And you've done brilliant things like play drive-in movie theaters and things like that and sit in your living room and play acoustic guitar versions of songs. And she's, but she's been doing this thing a little more high profile, I guess. Uh-huh, I would say. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I always, I always listen back to these things, and God, it sounds like I'm giving Scott the business, and I'm always bringing up my stupid non-career as a songwriter, and I, I, I sound like I'm bragging about something, you know, or I'm putting his thing down, and I, I totally didn't mean to come off that way. But now I know why. Every time I bump into like a rock hero, I, I make a bad impression because I say things that really sound. I'm fucking obnoxious yeah, I know, in retrospect. It's, it's, it's totally cool, man. I'm used to it. But she's been doing these very theatrical things on all these late night talk shows where she, you know, is has set up a thing where she's on like multi levels and she's walking all through some fucking house right. while she sings and there's big props and stuff. So to me, this was just another one of her like, I'm going to stage this completely artificial, goofy ending to this song where she's performed that same song like two or three other times on TV this year and each time it's been some weird ending like there was one where she got all of these friends of hers to record on iPhones them screaming at the end of that song and she put them all up on the screen with her there was another thing where she did like the whole thing from some like green screen over oval office set so not for one second on Saturday Night Live did I think she's really trying to be a rock star and really trying to break your guitar. I just thought it was another one of these, like, what's a, what's a goofy idea I can do to present this song in some way? What, you know, what can I do? What kind of goofy thing can I sort of not make fun of, but just sort of riff off of it? And the right. idea of break, that, that's what it meant for me. But I just couldn't believe how many people were like, how dare she? And like, I hate it when people break guitars. Although <laughs> I've never said that before about any male guitar, right. you know, breaker. Right. I I think, you know, if you got a guitar and you, and, you know, if you got it, flaunt it. If you got a guitar to break, break it, you know. Have you, it, uh, I've never seen you Everyone should do it at least guitar. once. Have you? Oh, yeah. I broke some guitars. I broke some guitars in my day. But spontaneously? But, but you, uh, yeah. It's usually something that happens. Like, I'll become so frustrated with the guitar. Uh, or, or there was another time where <laughs> right. I jumped into the audience and they, st- the audience started to try to take the guitar from me and break it themselves. And I was like, no, 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 no. This is my guitar. If anyone's going to break it, it's going to be me. So I smashed that fucker. But it was an SG. Those things break like matchsticks. Yeah. I've, I've, I've had two incidents where the guitar was broken. And one of them, I was in my rehearsal, or not my, but our rehearsal space in the basement of some used bookstore that the drummer's mother owned. And we were playing and, but... all our rehearsals were mostly like 99% like yelling and fighting with each other. And then 1% like rehearsing songs. And then I was yelling at, I was yelling at Chad, the bass player about something or making fun of him. And he got really mad and he jumped me, knocked me over. (laughs) We both landed on the drummer's 12 string acoustic guitar, which was like sort of like over in the corner of the room and it smashed in half and he was not happy. And then the other time was I had loaned. All about Chad. All about Chad. I loaned a Telecaster. We ended up, somebody we knew drew a picture of the broken headstock of that 12-string, and we had a demo tape that was called 12 Strings Broken, and it had like that line art drawing of the broken guitar. So we, we you know, we, we made lemonade out of those lemons. Um, and then the other time, I loaned my a Telecaster that I had, the one and only Telecaster I've ever had. 
loaned it to Mike Lustig of Ruth Ruth, who was playing guitar with me briefly in some band. And I don't know, he got carried away at the end of some set and took it and um, speared it into the floor tom of the drummer. And amazingly, it like fucking broke the, again, broke the headstock off the telly, which then we got somebody to professionally like fix and glue back. So the gu- it wasn't the floor tom that broke, it was the guitar. I think they both backfiring. Broke. I think he okay. did break the skin of the floor tom, but at the same time destroyed this perfectly nice 1970s telly. Well, there goes our no talking about music rule. <laughs> yeah, and thanks everybody. It's been ninety minutes, and yeah. we are done. See what you did. With... <laughs> um, I, I, um, I want to tell you about the production. I read a little bit about the production of Lifeguard today. Okay. Sam Elliott's parents were lifeguards, and he had worked as a lifeguard himself, which makes perfect sense because I mean. I've never seen somebody so perfect in a role. I was trying to figure out who the lifeguard was. And, like, was it the writer? Was it the director? Dan Petrie? Uh, right. Who, who was this based on? And you're saying right. Sam Elliott. I'm not saying that. For all I know, the writer who I haven't really been able to find out much or any information on, I'm assuming he was drawing on something other than Sam Elliott's background. But I'm I'm guessing that when the script made its way to Sam Elliott or he auditioned for the film, he had all this great yep. material to say, hey, I know this part inside and out. And he sure does, because he reminds me of every sort of slightly over-the-hill lifeguard that I ever saw at any public pool or Buttermilk Falls State Park, as I've mentioned <laughs> on previous shows. Um, anyway, he was cast... Oh, here we go. He was cast after Dan Petrie and his wife saw Elliott on TV in Frogs. I don't know what that is, Frogs. Frogs! You don't know Frogs? It's a movie about killer frogs. Yeah, but I didn't think it was a... T- maybe they're just saying they watched the movie Frogs. I thought they were insinuating it was a TV movie, but it's not. But maybe maybe they just were watching Frogs on TV. Yeah, it was part of the whole uh, killer frogs boom in cinema, right. if you remember that. Yes. Oh, I do remember it. Toads. Um, I gotta tell you, I you know it doesn't Bold seem frogs. like I can go an episode without mentioning Mike McPadden, but he had a frog's tattoo from the he had like the movie poster of, of frogs a tattoo on somewhere on his body, like on his leg or something. Jeez, it keeps coming back to Mike, isn't it? It's amazing, as it should. <laughs> but it should. I, I totally think it should. Yeah, I've been you know all this stuff with him keeps coming out. Like there were like two podcasts that got released uh, in the last week or two because he would. People would invite him on their podcasts all the time, and then sometimes it would be months and months before they got around to yeah. mixing and editing. They're not like me. They don't They're not like, like you. No. No. I'm like, You're I put machine. the fucking podcast out like a day before we actually record it. Oh, did you see how fast it, my my, uh, my file got to you this, no. today? I know. I've been busy podcasting. I haven't oh, seen that it's out it. there. But I trust you. I believe yeah. you. Maybe amazing. you should stay where you are, where there's better, faster internet. Hey, man, you're not the only one that thinks that. I don't think it's a bad idea. But you've already bad-mouthed where you are right now so often in song that you're not really allowed to live there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the Bronx. It doesn't count. Okay. I mean, you know, it's one thing if you said Long Island, but... <laughs> um, and here's something that I didn't know. The film was finished in August of 75. So what that actually means to me is they shot it... What? Well, I noticed that in the credits. It says oh. 75, not 76. 
Yeah, it didn't get released till '76. So, but all my math about okay, wait, Sam Elliott. I was looking. He was he was 31 or 32 when they shot this, but actually he was like 29 or 30. And Kathleen Quinlan, who I thought was 21, I was like, no, actually she was like 19 when they shot this movie. So interesting. Uh, It wasn't. It was finished in August of '75, but held by Paramount until the next year. And I don't know why, except I do wonder. As we'll get into it, like some of the, some of the situations, especially with Kathleen Quinlan being underage, like I wonder, even in the seventies, was it like, ooh, can we do this? Well, <laughs> we? was somebody like had somebody associated with it become a star? Like maybe it was Parker Stevenson? Had he started the Hardy Boys? Maybe and decided to release it because of him? Maybe, maybe. but Elliot held off on doing any TV between 75 and 76 because he thought that the he hoped that the film would establish him in features which I think it should have but it didn't happen never right and however Elliot says he's always regarded the movie as a personal milestone and quote here's a quote from Sam Elliot Dan Petrie did a great job directing that movie it was shot for something only like $900,000 those were the days and I agree I, I'm with him I mean Dan Petrie I don't know that he's made another good movie. No. Yeah. I, but this if, one is pretty has, fucking good. It. It's pretty good. And it's interesting that, like, th- I mean, this would have been the movie that made Sam Elliott become a leading man, but that never happened. I mean, everyone loves Sam Elliott. He's great in Roadhouse. Right. He's great in everything he's in, but he's always been the sidekick or the supporting actor. And he's got this sort of laid back cool thing that not everybody can do like maybe Robert Mitchum like he's the bridge between Mitchum and McConaughey right but unlike those two he's never became a leading man Um, right although a couple years ago he did this movie called Hero or The Hero yeah right which which seems to be all about what you just said it seems to be made by somebody who was like how does sam elliott never become a leading man i need to give him another leading role after lifeguard it really seems like sort of like a reimagining or a sequel to lifeguard in in some weird ways yeah you know even though his character in that movie is actually an actor or a voiceover artist right he's an actual right. i know he's doing voiceover work but i can't remember it's like one uh, of those you know late career cappers like what's the the movie with Burt Reynolds or is like the last movie star? Oh, yeah, but please, that's, it's not. That's. <laughs> well, what, okay, well, here's a good one. What was the movie with, uh, uh, was it Harry Dean Stanton? What was his Repo last Man? movie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> his last movie. Uh, yeah. And yes. everyone says it's amazing and I still yeah. haven't seen it. Right. There's one that Robert Redford did a year or two ago where he's, the man with the gun or something. Yeah. I didn't see it, but I right. think that's it's supposed pretty to good. Be like, so. I saw about half of it, and it was it was good. Now I just said I just badmouthed Dan Petrie, and I shouldn't have because in '61 he made A Raisin in the Sun, which I had never seen, but saw at work uh, a couple years ago, and it's actually pretty good. No, maybe we can cut that part out. Well, that's all right. I don't mind embarrassing I mean, myself, yeah, yeah. especially especially if you have to go over 96 minutes. What else did Dan Petrie do? Well, Petri? so he's, Petri or Petrie? Because it's Rob Petrie in Dick oh, Van Dyke. Well, that's a good. Okay, well, you know, somebody will tell us. Yes, they will. Uh, his first movie was something called The Bramble Bush, which I've never heard of or seen, but Angie Dickinson is in it, and I love her so much that I might just go watch it just to see her in 1960. 
Uh, or then he did a raisin in the sun, which maybe is like sort of like the high watermark of classy productions for his whole career. And Archer has kind of a Angie Dickinson thing going on in this movie around the, the eyes. Yeah, 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 yeah. What else did he do? Uh, something called the main attraction in 1962. Um, the stolen stolen hours with Susan Hayward in the mm-hmm. role of a socialite who is operated on for a brain tumor and then falls in love with and marries her surgeon's colleague. Okay. Uh, as, as, the as idol. They do. The idol. The idol. Oh. It's a British film with Jennifer Jones. Okay, that's not what and, I was And Michael Parks. Hmm. Uh, Spy with a cold nose. A British comedy starring Lawrence Harvey mm-hmm. and Denim Denim Elliott. Oh, I like Denim Elliott. I like Denim Elliott. Remember that Denim Elliott movie where this is we were talking about rock stars who try to become actors, and that was Sting's first thing. It was it was a Brimstone and Treacle. Brimstone and Treacle, like right? Yes, I do. Yeah, terrible movie, but yeah, not good. Denim Elliott is always good. Yeah. So that's it Denim for Elliot. Donald no. Petrie. No. No. Oh. No. So is there anything in there that I, anybody would have seen? Anybody here's something being that I, Here's something that I would see all the time on like the 430 movie, but I can't remember a thing about it. In 73, he did something called The Neptune Factor. Nope. Which is a science fiction movie, but with underwater action. Yeah, yeah. Then he did okay. something called Buster and Billy. Nope. Then he did Lifeguard. Oh, I've seen which, Lifeguard. Yeah. Then he did The Betsy. Which is a notoriously shitty movie. Mm. Then he did Resurrection with Ellen Burstyn and Sam Shepard. Oh, I remember. Yeah, I remember that movie. What that was in that, that was really good. Like she has some kind of it's it's almost like that movie uh, that you were talking about where John Travolta gets oh, second yeah. sight or right, something. Right. Something like yes. that happens. Uh, I can't exactly remember what, but she has. Some kind of gift. I don't know if she dies and comes back, but there was something quasi-biblical going on in that movie. Well, here's something interesting. Uh, oh, no. I was going to say John Cassavetes, and he's not. It's Sam Shepard. But maybe at the end, she blows Sam Shepard up with like her psychic powers. Maybe he's Yeah, it wasn't that kind of movie. It was very uh, understated. Very, very understated. So it was a lot like this in that respect. Well, here's something crazy, because after Resurrection, he did a movie that came up earlier today. I don't know why. <laughs> well, maybe because of where you are. <laughs> he, directed, he directed Ford Apache, The Bronx. Yeah! <laughs> wow. That is weird. That is weird. Jesus then he directed God. a movie that Mike McPadden was always raving about. I've never seen, but it, every, every, he somehow would bring it up a lot, and he was like, oh, it's really good. Six Pack, starring Kenny Rogers. Oh, I fucking love Six Pack. You haven't Do seen you? Six Pack? There you oh, go. No. man. Oh, I'm God. Too, I'm too old. You guys are a little younger than me. Oh, so if only it had been made a couple years earlier, we could talk about it. What a good one. With uh, Diane Lane. Yep. A great, great... Great, great, great Kenny Rogers theme song. Love Will Turn You Around. Listen, I finally got to see... Over and over and over in the movie. Yes. Uh, But I finally got to see The Fabulous Stains recently. Yeah? Did you like it? And finally... Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting in a strange way. But the most interesting thing to me about it was, like, I finally realized why Diane Lane is in that horrible Walter Hill Streets of Fire movies. Because, like, they're sort of riffing off of her appearance in uh fabulous stains like i'm like why would you ever have cast diane lane in streets of fire i'm like oh okay because they probably saw fabulous stains and were like yeah she can do this 
punk rock kind of. All right, first of Although all, she's not really doing that. Streets first of, of all, if you don't understand why you would have Diane Lane in Streets of Fire, I don't know if we can keep this going. I well, mean, I don't understand why you'd make Streets of Fire. Period. Oh, it's, well, not, a, it's not a Diane Lane thing. <laughs> you listen, don't want that. Oh, of Fire. oh yes, it. I love Streets of Fire. That opening. Is great. Like it just makes me wish that Walter Hill had done uh, Purple Rain. You know, if he had directed Purple Rain, it just like what that, are you saying about Purple Rain? You I'm like saying Purple, Purple Rain, Rain is great, but I would love to see a a, <laughs> a, a Walter Hill version of Purple Rain because the uh, that concert the Walter scene, the Walter Hill version of Purple Rain would have had Rick Moranis instead of uh, Mars Day, and it would have been a big pile of shit. <laughs> you clearly don't get Streets of Fire. I don't. Yeah. I really don't. Yeah, I, I really yeah. don't. But I don't get anything that's got Michael Perret in it is immediately like suspect for me. You get a point taken off for Michael Perret, but yeah. but Streets of Fire has a lot, a lot of great things going for it. A lot. Wow. Okay. And, uh, it, it's a failure, but it's oh. one of the most interesting <laughs> okay. failures you can watch. I mean, sure, I, I, I'm I'm with you there. Don't and make me Diane Lane in that movie. It, it's yeah. reason enough for it to exist. I love Diane. You take back what you said. Take back oh, what I you said Diane about Lane. Diane Lane. I wasn't saying anything bad about Diane Lane. I just never understood how she got sucked into Streets of Fire. But now I do. Yeah. Uh, the Bay Boy in 1984, which I don't know what that... That's a semi-autobot. That's Daniel Petrie's story. Okay. The Bay Boy is a Canadian drama film. It's a semi-autobiographical film based on director Daniel Petrie's experiences of growing up in Glace, Glace Lake, a mining town on the Cape Breton Island during the Great Depression. Well, sounds that sounds like up. really something I don't want to watch. <laughs> <laughs> then he did, in 87, he did something called Square Dance. Oh, I Primarily remembered this. for having earned Rob Lowe his only Golden Globe nomination. Oh, well, that's something to be proud of. Then he did this movie that I don't know if I saw, but I remember, always remember it saying, I hate this goddamn title. Rocket Gibraltar with Burt Lancaster. I remember the and title. A cast of, that. of thousands, right? Yeah. Oh, and Macaulay Culkin in his film debut. Whoa. Then Petrie did Cocoon, not Cocoon, but Cocoon: The Return. Oh, yeah, I haven't seen either of those. Oh yeah, you never saw Cocoon? Nah, not my thing. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. I don't remember it. I mean, I remember hmm. it, but I, I can't. I can't vouch for it. Then in 1994, he did Lassie. He did a, like a, a version of Lassie uh-huh. with Michelle Williams. And, oh. And they let you know in this Wikipedia description that it features the fictional collie Lassie. Well, I think so. Yeah. That probably they also let you know that... It, it, when did it come out? 94. 94. They also let you know that this is not the 50s TV show. This is, this is not this your is not, 50s yeah. Lassie. This lassie is like spread eagle. <laughs> this ain't your daddy's lassie. <laughs> and then his last movie was The Assistant. Uh, Not The Assistant on... from last week, from, from no, last year. No, something uh, based on a novel by Bernard Malamud. Ooh, which was published in '57, set in a working class neighborhood of Brooklyn. Is he related to the other Malamud? Who's that? Isn't there an actor with the last name of Malamud? Oh, Jeff maybe. Malamud. Barry Manilud. <laughs> Barry Manilud. <laughs> Barry Manilud's. You know, so, Mandy's about uh, ludes or something like that. No, it's not. I always heard that. It's about like some ludes. kind of man, manned. 
command to something is some with some form of like quaaludes or something. But you came and you gave hand, without taking, and I sent you away. That's not yeah. about drugs. That sounds like it could be. You just you just made the case yourself with those lines of dialogue. <laughs> but I don't think. But the other thing about Mandy is I don't think that Barry Manilow wrote it. I didn't know Barry Manilow wrote anything. Oh really? Yeah, it, it never. He occurred. sang a song called "I Write the Songs." Did you write that one? <laughs> right, which I just thought was you know the the irony of ironies. But but no, he actually wrote that one, didn't he? He does write stuff. It never really occurred to me whether or not he would. Right. Uh, neither answer would surprise me, is what I'm trying to say. Oh, he wrote his songs? Oh, okay. Oh, he didn't write yeah. his songs? Okay, I'm fine with that, too. So he did make a couple TV movies after that. Gary Manilow? Well, I'm sure, yeah. But, um, well, talk about a guy who never, I think, attempted to turn his singing career into an acting career. I th- didn't, didn't he make a movie about Lola the showgirl? Did he? I don't know, but I think that's a great idea, and he should have. Copacabana, you could make that movie. The Copacabana. Uh, so there's more. Is, there's more Dan well, Petrie movies. Who cares? We've talked way too much about Dan Petrie, who does a fine job in this thing, but and is, you know, he's one of those. What do they call it? Journeyman. He's uh-huh. a journeyman director. But I, I think if you draw a line between this and Resurrection, you're, you're gonna, if you take those two nuggets and put them together, I think you've got a pretty good picture of who this guy is and what his sensibility might. be really be I want to that, that's fair enough I'm going to watch Resurrection I probably should have watched it this week but it, it wasn't one of those weeks where I could it was part of that it. like sort of 80s indie you know that was like pre uh, Coen Brothers indie but like you know th- they used to call these movies sleepers right you know, yeah. this movie's a real sleeper that's what Resurrection was like yeah what's that one with um Laura Dern and maybe Tree Smooth Talk. Smooth Talk. Yeah. It's like that. Like right? that. Yep. That era. Yep. Yep. Raggedy Man. Yeah. Uh, uh, what was the movie about the. Uh, Raggedy the, Ann and Andy. You know, what was the movie about <laughs> the, the uh, nuclear holocaust? And it wasn't the day after, but it was. Oh, Miracle Mile. No, 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 no. It was Remember that Miracle movie? Mile. Yeah, I do. But it was before Miracle movie. Mile. It was early 80s. But it was a TV movie, right? No, that was the day after that you're talking about. Maybe, that I'm maybe Resurrection of. That's is the a TV movie, movie I'm thinking of. Miracle Mile? No, Day After. It was a the TV Day After is a TV movie, yeah. yeah. I watched Threads not too long ago. Remember Threads? The British? Yeah, yes. But you're saying there was like a the- theatrical nuclear holocaust movie. Yes, unless that is Resurrection. Uh, I don't know. This is going to... Here he goes. Hang on. I'm going to click on this going to it. get some more info about it. Uh, it wasn't. did a lot of TV, too, by the way. What, what, was, what was that movie where there was something? Oh, no, no, no. The water. Wait a minute. And um, everyone went nuts. China Syndrome? <laughs> no. Oh, the, the Crazies. George Romero. No, 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 no. no. But it was, it was like early 80s, and it was really uh, understated. But there was something in the water, and, and everyone... This is a great movie, and I can't remember the name of it, and I'm sure somebody will help us out with this. But but it's all that, that era of, like, you know, all these early 80s movies that were indie yeah. movies before indie became a thing. Well, the plot of Resurrection is Edna May, played by Ellen Burstyn, survives the car accident that kills her husband, but discovers that she has the power to heal other people. 
Uh-huh. She becomes an unwitting celebrity, the hope of those in desperate need of healing, and a lightning rod for religious beliefs and skeptics. What's the movie where this woman who starts off like leading like a sort of wildlife, having orgies and stuff? Oh yeah, that's the Rapture with the Rapture. Uh, Mimi Mimi Rogers. Yeah, that yeah. movie I like a lot. Yeah, uh, Michael Token. I, I like that movie a lot. Yeah. That's anyway. Uh, this doesn't seem to be apocalyptic at all. No, that's movie. not it. The, there's another movie, and it, it's. T- I think it might have like somebody, some actress like Christine Lottie is in it, and and uh, and it's really good. But it, it's sort of cut from the same cloth. And you don't know Raggedy Man? I know it. Okay. That's all those smooth, smooth talk, all those movies, like kind of feel of a piece to me, but they're not seventies movies. So, right. Yeah. That's fine. Why are we even talking about them? Well, you know, it's all, it's all happening at the zoo. (laughs) Um, but this is another one of those movies that like seeing it in the seventies. And in fact, today I started reading some reviews from the time including the new york times which savaged it uh-huh. like in in the middle of the 70s watching this movie doesn't really register as anything particularly good or bad i think you know it's not like a classic of the set it's not like it's not like scorsese in the 70s it's not you know it's not taxi driver it's not the godfather it's not even the conversation like it feels it's not the parallax you, view it's not the parallax view if you've spent 1970 through 1976 seeing all these American even Hollywood especially Hollywood movies and then you see Lifeguard in that context it feels like mm, kind of thin and kind of right. like what's the point of this and kind of feels in, in, in fact I'll read some of this Vincent Camby in the New York Times review he says it feels like a TV movie Yep. watching it now it's like I can't believe the attention to detail and the dialogue and the sort of tone of it and the low key of, of it i think it, the it, music those montages i think yeah. really cut it off at the knees and i think that's probably what canby was responding to it's like yeah, the music is awful and you know and i don't know exactly what kind of music they could have found for those because mon- you know montages like that is montages a word because i don't like saying it but montages. It's a word, but I. But I'm not. Just trying, I'm, gross. I'm not sure that there are that many montages in this. Movie. There's a million of them, and I don't know exactly. If they're not montages, they're like those really slow, uh, reverse zooms. Yeah. You know, so you can see the there beach. Are, yeah, there are these establishing shots or a series of establishing shots that that you're right. There are too many of them where you see like four or five beach scenes. Right. But then only, there's this only reason for being is for music to be played over them. And I'm not sure what kind of music could have saved those scenes. You know what but I mean? But not the squiggly synths that they decided on using. No, dude. And that one song, that... <laughs> doo, 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 time and Tide or something? There's or, a Time and Tide yeah, song. And, I mean, yeah. that is... Uh, uh, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Like, Bono ripped that, that, that song there off. There you go. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy. I was like, that's still haven't found what I'm looking for. And it's not good. Bono watched this movie and he found exactly what he was looking for. Right, right. He was, <laughs> he's he's like, a, he's 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 a fan of American culture back then. <laughs> yeah. There's that... Uh, there's that one... There's 
I think that one of the shots you're talking about is to me one of the maybe the strangest cut in the movie, and it makes me wonder if it was something that they decided they had to do. It's uh, he has Kathleen Quinlan comes up to talk to him at mm-hmm. the end of a day, and she tells him that she wants to sleep with him, and he's like, oh, you know, can't do it. And then they wind up going into his lifeguard hut right. to have sex, but. You don't actually see them going into the hut. They're talking outside the hut, and then it cuts in a weird, in a kind of a weird way, to a wider shot of the hut. And that dumb music comes on, and it sits there for a while. And you're like, "Oh, they're in that hut having." Yeah. Like, you see the door close, and you're like, "Okay, they're having sex yeah. in that hut." And then it cuts to like them coming out of the hut, holding hands. And, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and it's like I feel like there's something missing there that they shot, and then they were like, "We can't make it that explicit that this 32 year old dude is having sex with this." 17 year old especially after he's already laid out in the movie that this is illegal and could cost him 10 years in the slammer which is also funny to me which is that the first thing he says to parker stevenson is to stay away from her because it's you know you'll wind up in the can for 10 years right that's rule number one and then he promptly breaks rule number one well that's there you go that's the thing he's getting to the point where he's breaking his own rules like he has a code but he's also at this point where you know women his own age are moving on and yeah. having kids and he's breaking his code and he's but I also fix wonder that. but I wonder if it also hints at a darker side to his character right because he's got some anger issues throughout this movie he's yeah. got some anger issues at the prom he's got some anger issues at the um used car lot or the the Porsche lot and he's got some anger issues for sure at that art gallery right um, and then I also feel like maybe there's also the suggestion that it's some of this, like, um, and, and to quote this great song that somebody I know wrote uh, called Keep Your Girlfriend Away From Me, it's like maybe there's some toxic masculinity going on when he tells Parker Stevenson to steer clear of her. Right, maybe but... That's, in his mind, he's like, she's mine. She's oh, mine. I, I never thought of that. But, but there's something really uh, gross about him and Ann Archer, like you get the feeling that he dumped her for the easy chick uh, when he didn't take her to the prom when they were in high yeah. school. He went well, with- yes, that's true. But then we also find out something which I found like, oh, like came, hit close to home for me too, which is that somebody asks him at the prom, wait, did you not sleep with her? And he goes, no, we never did. And right. so it turns out that he's he had told people at the time that they were sleeping together. Right, right. Because he goes, oh, fuck, you used to say that you guys were together. And he's like, yeah, we said a lot of things back in the day. But it reminded me of a terrible thing that happened to me at sleepaway camp, which I think I brought up with you before. <laughs> it's in Maine. You know, I'm in Maine. I'm, like, I'm 12 years old. I'm far away from anyone and everyone that I know. And... Um, spending some time with the 12 year old girls uh, who are in their cabin and there's, there's like the 12 year old boy cabin and the 12 year old girl cabin and then one night we were playing some horrible game where people had to like reveal you know it was like it was truth or dare or something yeah. and somebody one of the girls asked me if I'd ever had sex and I'm like I'm not gonna say no and I'm like yeah sure um, and then they're like oh yeah with who and so I came up with the name of this girl that I knew back in Brooklyn because, like, what, you know, I, I didn't have any story at the ready, but I was like, yeah, yeah, and I said her name. You didn't make up somebody and, from Canada like the rest of us? Well, I totally, I mean, I should have, because here's the thing. Um, Joan Fairview? That was mine. I don't know. They. It turned out that one of these fucking girls that I told this 
fake story about this girl in Brooklyn too was actually from New York, from Manhattan or something, and turned out to be friends of friends of this girl oh, <laughs> whose name no. I had said. I get back to Brooklyn and I'm in school, like sixth grade or whatever. And one day this girl comes up to me. She says, so this friend of mine in Manhattan told me that she went to camp with you and you were telling people that we had sex. Oh, no. It's mortifying. So I sort of felt for Sam Elliott in that scene where it's like he's admit coming to terms or admitting the truth that he never did sleep with Ann Archer, but that he apparently made it seem like they had been sleeping together. Right, but it, you know, I think what happened with him in the movie is a lot different than what you yeah. went through. I mean, the pressure to not be a virgin when you were like, what, 12? Yeah. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow, Let's think about that for a second. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> a, but but also what's really interesting to me about that whole scene is like Sam Elliott's character is the kind of guy that like, you know, you like where, where did you get the Playboy? Oh, it's it's his, you know, like he's the kind of guy that could get blamed for everything. And there's that scene where he's talking to to the guy, his buddy and his buddy's wife's like, "Yeah, she, he blames everything on you. He says yeah. you're the one who took him to Tijuana. Right. Like, it wasn't me. And on top of right. that, he did things with with a goat or a donkey or you know. He, it's yeah. Got- he took us to see that chick and the donkey. And yeah. she's like, you never told me about a donkey. Yeah. I love That's that. A- <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's great. Yeah. Right. In, in one way, he cannot stand taking the fall or somebody being dishonest because you know when when he's with that. Uh, stewardess he's pretty honest about what's going on between them but when he mm-hmm. gets there you realize that he's got, come from a long history of dishonesty and maybe he's at different points in his life where he's trying to be honest with people but he's not quite there yet you know yeah but i think one of the things that i love about this movie is that we've seen we've seen characters like his in movies and tv shows before and after this but there's they're always more clear cut like he is a loser. He, you know, he's got this outward bravado, but inside he's like, you know, completely embarrassed by where he is in life. And there is that element to Sam Elliott's character in this movie, but it's not his entire story. It, no. It, much like the rest of the movie, it doesn't push him and his character into any particular extreme. Like he's nuanced and complicated yeah. and he has some some regrets about where he is but he ultimately decides he's fine with where he is or it, that's where he wants to stay for a while exactly there's that scene at the end where he's like you're gonna regret not taking this job and he goes no i don't think i will and and, right. and that in that sense he's very secure about who he is and he has a firmer grasp on life and everything than, than those other men do like more than his father his high school buddy they're all encouraging him to chase money and it's not that he's a hippie but he just seems proud of what he does and and you know there is a romantic side of it where he's talking about his favorite part of it is in winter when it's just him and i mean he loves the water and he's proud of that and and, uh you know and he works hard at it he's not lazy about it he's really good at his job and he's and he's smart about it too because when he's pushed by the horrible car salesman manager yeah uh he says listen my job is all about human interaction like i'm i have more encounters with people every day than you do in a year 
you know, where I'm trying to having to figure out where they're coming from and, and blah, blah, blah. And it's a matter of life and death on the beach. That's the, here's something about this movie that I don't like. It seems like there's a lot, way too many people drowning or near drowning. Is that, uh. <laughs> is that your sense? Like he, he says, he says more than once. Yeah. I saved like three out of five of them today. Is it your sense that he's got like multiple people dying at the on beach his watch? every day? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't, you know, here's, I'm here's, asking you a real question here. <laughs> I was, ne- it's never been my impression that they would allow public beaches to be open if a couple people a day were dying. Maybe that's a joke of his. I don't know. But it just occurred to me why this movie might have come out in 76, why they might've sat on it. Why it suddenly came out was well, may- maybe because of Jaws. Jaws. Yeah. 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 Oh, all right. You, no, you've already a, there, figured that one out. Okay. Well, no, because there, there's at least that one scene, which, I mean, it might as well be Mrs. Kibner or whatever yeah. yelling that, her, that you know, she's on the beach. She's like, ah! And then it's it's played for laughs her here. water's not even up to her tits. Right, 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 right. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, you're talking about the way he, you were talking about the way he uh, uh, interacts with the, the manager of the, the car Porsche, dealership. Yeah. And his anger issues. Like, he's not going to take shit from anybody, right? And that's usually where it comes. It's like, hey, shut your mouth. I don't need this shit. I love when he calls people son of a bitch. That's his name. He's like, that's son of a bitch. I got a message for him. But he does take shit from people. Like, at the end, when he deals with shit from the guy that he's saving, and he's like, come on, you're fucking up my good time. He's like, well, why'd you hold on to the buoy? And he's like, I didn't need you. And he's like, okay, I'm sorry. And he walks away. Like, when it's part of his job, you know, that's probably where his anger issues. He's got to eat shit from people like that all day. And when he gets off, when he's off the clock, he's not taking shit from anybody. Yeah. Yeah. I don't um, know what that was apropos of, but. Oh, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great. No, it's because I'm trying, because it's interesting. I'm going to go to this uh, for a second to this Vincent Camby review, which seems so misguided to me. Based on the movie I watched, um, okay. it keeps talking about how it doesn't have a thought in its head. Lifeguard looks to be two different movies at the same time. The one directed by Daniel Petrie means to be about freedom and self-realization, while the one written by Ron Koslow and acted by Sam Elliott is about vanity, narciss- narcissism. Uh, okay. Those things aren't mutually exclusive, are they? No. I mean, th- there is a lot, like, I-, I love the way that, like, that reunion was, was really interesting mm-hmm. to me. Like, they're, uh, it's, they went to school during the 60s. And you notice, like, the editing during the reunion is very kind of groovy and quick. Yeah. And type of 60s. But, like, the rest of the movie isn't like that. The rest of the movie is laid back and fucking 70s California, you know? I yeah. Mean, the movie does have a thought in its head. And yes. e- even, like, the way... Kathleen Quinlan is is shot like when you first they first introduce her and she's doing that thing and it's a good piece of acting like she's like got her uh, chin down into her neck which makes her look like she might be 12 and you're like wow this this chick is jailbait keep away from her but when it gets to the point where she's like you know hey I want to have sex with you suddenly you know the chin is out and 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 she's framed uh, in the shot, and suddenly she doesn't look 12 anymore. You know, she looks like she's no. 22. And that goes on for the whole movie. And then at the end, yeah. when he finally says, you know, you're going to go to high school, it's going to start again, you're going to uh, 
class is going to start up again. You'll meet friends. Suddenly, again, she's framed like she's 12. And uh, the movie knows what it's doing. Yeah. And I love Kathleen Quinlan in this movie. Um, I'd forgotten all about her and was like, oh, she's so... I'll never forget about it. I had such a crush on Kathleen Quinlan in Twilight Zone, the movie, where she's in the Joe Dante bit and they got her dressed up like Snow White. Oh man, I'll yeah. never forget that. That that was that was a major. That's that, that was a formative. That's, that's that's the that's the Billy Moomy Children of the Corn thing, right? Yes, not right. Children of the Corn, but the Cornfield. Yeah, that's what it's called, right? No, 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 I don't no. Think it's it's, called the, Children it's of the, the one where he he takes her. He he makes sure he, that she hits him on his bike with her car, and he makes her uh, he makes her take him home. And it's his birthday, but it's not really his birthday. And uh, every day's his birthday. Every day it's, it's a birthday. remake of an actual Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, yeah. Had Billy Moomy from Lost in Space. Exactly. He's, like, he's in charge of everyone, and when he's mad, he throws he turns him into Jack in the Boxes out in some cornfield. Right. I'm sending you to Cartoon Land. Right, 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 right. 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 It, yeah. yeah, that's it. That's it's it's great. Okay, but here's what here's what this bozo Vincent Canby says. Uh, quite early me. in the film, quite early in the film, which spends one summer on the Santa Monica Sands, Rick Carlson, Mister Elliot, the lifeguard of the title, is told by one of the young women in his life that though he is great in bed, technically he doesn't feel anything. This bit of analysis is confirmed by the lifeguard's mannerisms and decisions during the rest of the movie and explains the unintentional laugh that greets his statement that he likes winter duty at the beach best because it gives him time to think. Thinking would be a totally alien activity to the character written by Mr. Kozlow and acted by Mr. Elliot, who consciously or not moves through the movie through affairs with a sweet beach groupie and with a former high school sweetheart, with all of the intellectual and emotional sensitivity of a man holding up a pack of cigarettes in a Marlboro ad. Now, I just I think that's totally unfair and totally wrong. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like jealousy. Yeah, that sounds like sour fucking grapes. That's right, Vincent Canby. As a film, Lifeguard is romantic twaddle, but as sociology, it's a spontaneous assault on a very American way of life. People smile a lot. Even when they have nothing to smile about, characters drive to places to commit suicide in expensive sports cars. Wait, what? I don't know. I'm committing what he's suicide. About. <laughs> well, what's her name? Swims out in the water. Oh, okay. The end, theoretically, uh, and she does have a sports car, but it's not like she's killing herself with the sports car. <laughs> the interior decoration is the sort that makes every house and apartment look like a motel room. If people yeah. read, you, you know, it's TV Guide. Yeah, okay. But says but he says, since I doubt that lifeguard was intended as sociology, one must consider it as entertainment. And as entertainment, it ranks somewhat above Bikini Beach, but below Godzilla versus Megalon. Wow. I mean, yeah. the, the movie is sociology. It now, you know, I mean, you can watch a movie like uh like what uh Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and you can see scenes of Brad Pitt driving around in a sports car. And, you know, that's a memory of the way L.A. used to be filtered through the way, right. you know, Tarantino sees it. Probably based on movies like this. But you can watch a movie like this and see uh, Sam Elliott driving around in a sports car. And, and it is sociology. It's kind of like that's the way it actually kind of was. And, uh, you know, 
that you're probably not going to get that at the time, but I'm certainly glad it right. exists for that reason. A- absolutely. And but to say that it to say that the film is oblivious to its own details and own accurate right. portrayal of the way people w- were behaving, I think is silly. I think that you wouldn't say that about Bad News Bears, which to me reminds me in its portrayal of the details of that California lifestyle, mm-hmm. like every bit as this is, seems to be every bit as accurate in its in its details, in the way that that bar that he goes to looks, and the people that are there, yeah. and you know what, how he acts when he sits down at the bar, and those dopey gyne- gynecologist jokes that he makes. <laughs> those to the, are good. Those are great jokes. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot know, of openings in that all, business. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's. It's in retrospect, it's outrageous that 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 this film critic doesn't give props to the filmmakers for sort of knowing what they're doing and 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 showing the things that they show. Well, why did you and, pick this movie? Because I love it. <laughs> what do you mean? Why did I pick? No, this no, movie? no. I'm just saying, like, what was it about this movie that made you pick it? Like, I, I, I love it too, and I think there's. A- I rem- it was just because it was a movie that I saw in the seventies. <laughs> it was okay. a movie that I saw twice and hadn't seen since. I have not watched this movie since. I don't think I've ever seen it again. I don't think I'd ever seen it again. Maybe once in in high school or in college. Maybe. You haven't hadn't seen it like on cable or anything like that. No, because for a while there, it seemed like it was on every goddamn day. Um, yeah, I didn't have cable for a long, long time because in New York City, like we were the last ones to ever get cable. I but I'm talking about recently. Recently, it's days. been on yeah. cable oh. a lot. Oh, has it? Yeah, you know, like uh, like on those uh, oh, sort damn. of encore channels. Um, not within there's the last a, couple years, but there's like a 2013 or 2016 movie called Lifeguard that every time I was looking this up for right. this thing, I kept bumping into that with what's her face. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but is that a is that any? It's not any kind of a remake. No, of this is it? I, I, not as far as I could tell. I almost watched it, but I, I I didn't have the time to get around to it. But it but but it there's a lot of t- time that I've spent with this movie where it was playing in the background on on those mm. channels. So it was kind of nice to like actually sit down and and uh, rent like an HD version of it and and uh-huh. uh, uh, you know throw it up on the on the screen. Uh, Project it up on the screen and like enjoy it as cinema because, I mean, it's like you say, it's not the greatest piece of cinema, but but you know it, it looks good, and and it it actually has a point of view and it has something to say and uh, yeah. I, so I was just curious to why, what made you pick it, you know? I was just curious. I was curious to see it again and see how I'd feel about it, and I actually felt. It ended up making me feel really good about like, wow, I, you know, as a 10 year old, I was able to sort of soak up a lot of this stuff. And I also, it's interesting, like, I don't remember as a 10 year old being particularly like fascinated by or embarrassed by all the nudity in it or all that even interested in it. It was just sort of like, to me, at the, even at that young age, I was like, oh yeah, that's just the thing that happens in movies. Like sometimes you see naked people right. and they're having sex. Although I have to say now as an adult, Watching this um, sex scene that Sam Elliott and Ann Archer have towards the end of the movie, I still I don't know what's happening in that. They're having the most confusing sex I've ever seen. I don't know what body parts we're looking at. I think somebody I don't know cut what that she's down. She's kissing. And, yeah. Yeah, I think I think uh, the unedited the version is probably PG, pretty right? great. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but I mean, literally, like their mouths are on the other person's body, but I don't know where they are. They're kissing each other's elbows or knees. I don't know what the fuck is going on. There's something about, and Vincent Canby hits on it a little bit when he says everything looks like a hotel room, but there's something mm. about these laid back California movies that every sex scene, it feels like you're watching something a little illicit, a little porny, you know, uh, like movies like Corvette Summer uh, yeah. or, or, or Bobby Joe and the Outlaw. You know, th- those movies just kind of be, man. They just kind of hang out for a while. And then yeah. once the sex starts, it's like, all right, here we go. But it's not it's not that porny, but it does feel porny. A How little. About don't look now. <laughs> Yeah, there's a movie where once the sex kinks, it's like, well, I think that Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie had sex in front of us just now. Right, <laughs> right. Don't look now, <laughs> but they just they did just it. Did it. <laughs> this uh, this scene with the father, like, I feel like uh, it would it would work so well if he just wasn't shouting. If if the dialogue was exactly the same, but he was sort of calmer about it. Uh, what was your what, what what happened? Did you have these kind of conversations with your parents when you were first? No. no, I mean there was a couple of times where you know my dad was like, "All right, you better get your head out of the clouds," or you know, I mean it's a little bit, but there was never any like, you know, I wasn't pushed. I wasn't not pushed. I wasn't really. They weren't like, "Hooray, you're gonna do that," but they also weren't like, "Don't do that." And then when you ha- when you had some success, was there then like a conversation or two where they were like, did they used to come see you play? And then they were like, oh, shit, this is happening. Yeah, a couple of times. They, they were proud about it. And, and they were proud of it. But it's funny because I just had a conversation with my dad a few months ago. And, it, and the way that he talked about it and the way that he phrased, you know, what I've done with my life was I was like, oh, he's paying attention. He's into it, you know. And that was cool. Uh, yeah. But that's about music. Let's. <laughs> I know. Okay. Uh, I'm looking at, at notes that I took about this thing. Um, All right. I wish there was a little less drowning. I mentioned that. Well, uh, I, I think this is, you know, I, I took some notes about it being the rootless male and comparing it to a Judd Apatow movie. Right. Oh, okay. I know what that's much. Jet. That's much more sophisticated notes than me. Jet, yeah, I'm I mean, like, wait, Country Burger is that a real place? And I looked up Country Burger in California. Like, oh, it yeah, was still a that, Country yeah, Burger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know, they like Apatow made a whole uh, career out of the the rootless male, and you know he's got to grow up and everything. And like the Apatow movie always seems to lose its nerve at the end. His men always have to grow up. They got to get a house. They got to get a job. They got to have kids. But this movie is like, why? You know, who says that we have to do that? And 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 I like that. It doesn't lose its nerve. And I, and I hate the way, you know, our society ostracizes single people and especially older single people. And you know, you like the tax break for being married. Why? What the fuck is that all about? Like, why do you deserve a tax break for getting married? I still don't understand that. And <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah, it's like what's going on? We have to push people into this thing, and and I like the way that that this movie, even at the end, he's like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. And it doesn't lose its nerve. Do you interpret the last the the I guess it's the art gallery scene is the last time we see Ann Archer, right? And he says, "Am I still invited over for dinner?" Even after he makes this stupid scene at the thing with the ridiculous guy who wants her attention and. Mm-hmm. 
He's in the middle of having whatever dumb conversation he needs to have with her. And she seems upset, but she says, yeah, yes. But also during that conversation, he's like, are their neighbors going to be okay with me, with this lifeguard? And she's like, well, not a lifeguard, a Porsche dealer. And he's like, oh, okay, so it's about that. So right. That's that's important. So do you get the sense then that part of this decision that he seems to make where he's not going to take the Porsche job at the end, that he's also giving up on her, that he's not going to go back to her house? Like oh, absolutely. Done? Yeah, when 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 uh, his buddy says you're giving up a lot, and he goes he goes I might be giving up a lot more than you think. I mean that's that's the thing. He had like she's not interested in in him as a lifeguard. She's interested in him as a a Porsche salesman, and I, and that's the thing. Like he's not going back there, and he and he's right. moving on. And it's really interesting that like the last like the last then it goes to that whole bit about the. The, the guy in the the women's bathroom and that's the last segment of the movie right <laughs> and it's it's borderline comedy and it's like wait what but it but it also does something really interesting where it goes he's giving up Ann Archer and he's giving up this you know these great new digs and he's giving up money from selling cars for silly stuff he's giving it up for like kicking the guy out of Kicking a dude out yeah. of a, a, a women's bathroom, and it's not for romantic stuff. There is romantic stuff in his mind, but the day to day is pretty mundane and silly. No, it's kind of a. I mean, it, you know, for a movie that, like I keep saying, is low stakes, it's not really low stakes in that it seems to be this pivotal point in his life where he things are things are coming, things are being offered to him. Like mm-hmm. he's he hasn't abandoned. Uh, his hopes and dreams, or, or they're not his hopes and dreams, but people haven't given up on him. Right. Ann Archer is still interested in him. His buddy at the Porsche dealership is still interested in him. And they're all sort of, they all look at him and see somebody who in their eyes is has not been able to capitalize on their potential right. and hasn't been able to turn the corner and become, I, you know, I, I'm not sure if the movie's saying to sell out their 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 true soul and become part of this like you know marriage mill and and take the job of the it, I don't I'm not convinced that the movie is totally on his side. I don't know that it's an actually sort of a happy ending. Right. I I I think it's ambiguous at best and maybe kind of dark. Yeah. Like he's got these things and I think we haven't seen anything about Anna Archer other than she dares to say, you're not a lifeguard anymore. You're a Porsche salesman. Everything else about her seems delightful. Like, it <laughs> seems like this would be a great fucking idea for him to move in with her and, uh, you know, and, and have some kind of a life with her. The Porsche dealership looks like a shit job. I'm with him. I wouldn't take that yeah. job. Yeah, yeah. But he does seem to be abandoning all of that. And, and in favor of what? Of his quiet winters and of his sort of, like, day-to-day existence on the beach where he gets to do what he wants, but mostly he's rescuing dumbasses from well, I from mean, the thing. Maybe there's some wisdom in that. I mean, he would be miserable, okay? And, and, and he'd get to be with her, somebody that he clearly hasn't forgotten, but he would be miserable. And what good is he to anybody if he's wallowing in misery, you know? And, and she does kind of make it clear that she's not interested if he's going to continue to be a lifeguard. Mm. He's like... Would it be different if I were a lifeguard? And she's like, well, you're not a lifeguard, are you? 
You know, it, it's not like she go, oh, I wouldn't care if you're a lifeguard. She's like, you're not a lifeguard. Right. So there is right. a certain turn of the screw there. Like the prissiness comes out and it's like, oh, she's not that great. You know, I, right. I, mean, yeah. I think you just actually convinced me and turned me around on this. <laughs> that, yeah, and I think I'm now I'm with Vince, uh, with Vincent Canby. That this is the most pro lifeguard movie ever. Yeah. I, I like think- that it's. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it, it's easy to miss the point. Um, and I blame the music and the montages and all that stuff. <laughs> but yeah. but I, I think if Vincent Canby had given it a second thought, uh, he didn't even have to go back and see it again. If he had given it a second thought, he, he, he surely would have been able to see what was going on here in this movie. Yeah. All right. Well, there we are. Uh, I think yeah. that was a cogent analysis, mostly by you, thank God, of uh, of Lifeguard. I like, um, this is my kind of movie, man. Uh, yeah. I, and, and, uh, and it's not for the reasons that I, I thought it was my kind of movie. You know, it's not just because a young Sam Elliott, and it's not just because Kathleen Quinlan and Ann Archer in it. Like, I really no. think this movie's got something to say. And, and I love the pace of it. You know, the shitty yeah. music notwithstanding, I... This is my kind of fucking movie. But all of those performances are great. And I think that this is like the best work from most of this cast that I've, that I've seen or that I can remember. Um, the guy, his name is um, Stephen Young, who plays the car salesman, his mm-hmm. friend, Larry. I can't figure out where I know him from because I looked at all his credits and I'm like, I don't know. But I feel like anytime I've ever seen that guy in something else... There's something more disturbing about him. He uh-huh. plays somebody who's either much sleazier or sort of psychotic, right. uh, you know, like a killer or something. He kind of reminds me a little of the guy who plays the killer in um, Dirty Harry. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, I like him in this movie. And I like I like the fact that he's, that he, again, I want. I like celebrating all the things that don't happen in this movie. That none of these people die, none of them make irreversible choices that they regret. Um, you know, Kathleen Quinlan doesn't commit suicide. Right. Um, I, I. I really can't tell you how much I appreciate that none of that stuff happens because I feel like even if this movie was being made as an indie sort of mumblecore, low key thing today, I feel like they they would still feel obliged to stick some more tragedy into this movie yeah like what does anything happen in this movie and it's like yeah it does just shut up and watch it (laughs) yes exactly no and it was and i was i was watching it with my wife and she was having the toughest time with it first of all she was like five minutes into kathleen quinlan she's like is her character supposed to be having like a cognitive issue And then, like halfway through, she was like, "What? What is this movie ever going to end? Is there anything ever going to happen in this movie?" And I was like, sort of taken aback. I'm like, "Yeah, no, no, no this, it's it's def- Justine." At one point, she goes, "She goes, do you like this movie?" <laughs> and I was like, "Uh oh, here we go." <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, like these days, this movie has to be King of Staten Island, where the father has died. That's and- right, and it's not, which which Thank is where it's power derives from but if you can you i can imagine a pete davidson remake of this in 10 years with tattoos all over that oh, oh, man. 
Well, good I one. Was gonna, I was gonna. Yeah, this was a good one twenty six. We got ten minutes. You want to take a peek at? I'm gonna share my screen with you. I'll show you what was playing in New York. Yes, let's opened. do that. I think that would be good. All right, let me let me find that thing. Uh oh no, I want it to be Friday. Shit. Oh wait. Yeah, Friday. Okay, cool. Fuck. Okay, I gotta move this a little. Bear with me. Figure out how to share this screen with you. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. We got Ooh, cousin cuisine. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, look at this first page of movies here. And this is now. This is why Vincent. <laughs> yes, I was like, well, that's pretty random. I know, but apparently this is just open. And get this: the ad for Godzilla vs. Megalon features a Vincent Canby pull quote, where he says, "Another Godzilla movie. Monster is now a good guy." <laughs> Would amuse Woody Allen. It's wildly preposterous, imaginative, and funny, often intentionally, which is why he's so appealing. Jesus Christ! Wow, that's not a pull quote, man. For the first <laughs> yes, time in is. widescreen and color, like, is this a re-release of Godzilla vs. Megalon? It's got to be, because it says for the all, first time in widescreen well, and color. I know, but it does say all new, never before seen. Oh, maybe I guess maybe it's why. the first movie yeah, they did. I, maybe it's the first movie they did in widescreen? Robot Man. I want to say it man. might be one of the first Godzilla movies that actually got a theatrical release in the U.S. I could be totally wrong There's about no this. There's no way. Come on. The original Godzilla? That has I was watching release. all these, but no. By 1976... I was watching all the Godzilla movies on TV as part of the 4.30 movie. Yes. Like, they'd have Godzilla week or Godzilla two weeks. And right. And I'd see, like, ten of them. But I don't have any... I never got to see any Godzilla movies in theaters. And so, I, my sense is that they weren't actually in theaters. No, they were in theaters because was. the first Godzilla was recut with Raymond Burr yes. in it. And that yes. was specifically for uh, uh, yes. American audiences. But I'm talking about all those fucking crazy destroy all monsters sequels, all that stuff. Well, I definitely saw those, on, and in Chicago it was the 3:30 movie. But uh, yeah, yeah, I definitely saw those things on that too. And man, so great. right next to the Godzilla ad is uh, Man Who Fell to Earth. I don't like the Man Who Fell to Earth. Oh yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm starting to realize maybe I don't like Nick Rogue so much. Yeah, yeah. Could be. I mean, and that's that's not shocking or like unheard of. Well, I I feel guilty about it. I feel like I should like him a lot more than I do. <laughs> um, you know, outside of Man Who Fell to Earth and Don't Look Now, there aren't any other of his films that I. Well, here's one I do like: Bad Timing. Bad Timing is great. <laughs> okay, so there you go. You're a different kind of Nicholas. Yeah, yeah I guess so. Uh, but I love this ad, which I don't think I'd ever seen before. Yeah, that's Power, a good one. Power, space, time, love, and a visitor. And then crazy pictures uh, of of David Bowie, I guess, in his like space garb with his space family, which you barely ever see in the movie itself, I think. It's a strange shot. But then, it, then it's also got more words at the bottom of the ad. Explosive, hypnotic, mysterious, mind-boggling, spectacular. Which, if, if you... This movie is an explosive, hypnotic, mysterious, mind-boggling, spectacular. But you could say that's a sentence, but it's actually just a bunch of random words, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Depends on how you read it. It's open to your own interpretation of how to read it. Uh, 
Tunnel Vision. Uh, tunnel Vision. You ever seen that? No, but Mel Brooks will have to move over. I've never heard of this. <laughs> Do you know Tunnel Vision? Uh, I've, I've never seen Tunnel Vision, but we did talk about two other Tunnel Vision type movies earlier in this podcast series. And that was The Groove Tube. Have uh-huh. you ever seen The Groove Tube? Yeah. And um, Kentucky Fried Movie. So this is one of those types of movies. Kentucky Fried Vision. Movie. I was watching that the other night. Uh, they're showing it on Amazon. Uh, and I was mm-hmm. like, well, we got to watch some of this. Uh, Murder by Death. Uh, that's a movie I haven't revisited since I was a kid, and I'm sort of afraid to. I remember Roger Ebert gave it either half a star or one and a half oh, stars. Oh, jeez. Ouch. And there's Lifeguard. And look, yeah, look at this Look at this poster ad Th- for Lifeguard. This, oh, God. This. That doesn't even, I don't even think that's Sam Elliott in the Who picture. Who are they trying to fool with this poster? I mean, this fuck doesn't even have a mustache in this picture. I mean, uh, yeah, I was going to say, there's no women that look like that in the movie, but there's no guy that looks like that in the movie. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, boy. What, what, um, what are those raves? Playboy yeah. says. But, of course, the guy in L.A. loves it. Waves, waves of raves. raves. One of the year's best pictures. Sam Elliott is perfection, says Judith Christ in oh, Playgirl. Right. Judith Christ was writing for Playgirl? Okay. Yeah. You are you are in for a pleasant surprise. First-rate performances, an insightful and enjoyable film. Uh, After Dark says that. And Playboy, boy, they use Playboy and Playgirl. This thing was marketed as totally. Like, it should have like been a rated teen R. Sex comedy How, for adults. Yeah. yeah. What are they doing? They should have left the the extra anarchy stuff in. I, you know. But what, I what does Playboy say? say? Like, this is a. This is like an almost. I almost want to say this is an ad for a different lifeguard movie. <laughs> like, what is everything Playbo- about what this does Playboy have bro. to say? Sam Elliott invests the role with understated integrity and the kind of Marlboro manhood that dozens of clean-cut Hollywood hopefuls spend half their lives trying to simulate. Good mm-hmm. on you, Playboy. Right on. Playboy was more incisive than the New York fucking Times. That's right. And there's the bingo long traveling all stars. Where are you seeing that? Right next to it, right above Children of oh, Paradise. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's going to be a full. But here, but check out this, Food of the Gods. Yes, with the great playing a gold Marjo medal. Gordner. <laughs> yes, we got to do some Marjo movies. Yes. Um, George you, Payne and Kiss Today Goodbye at the All Male Big Top Cinema. Johnny Wad and Love Match. Buffalo Bill and the Indians. With Paul Newman, a movie I've never seen. Man, it was a glorious time. That was directed by... That's a Robert Altman movie. Totally. Buffalo Bill and the yeah. Indians. Um, as you said, Kazan Cuisine. Yep. Uh, on the next page, we got... Oh, a full-page ad for Bingo Long and the Traveling All-Stars. Look at that. Look at that thing. Tremendous. We also had Richard Harris and the Return of a Man Called Horse. Oh Jesus! God, and I love a movie. A man called Horse. Now, is it Bingo Long? I think the guy who shot Lifeguard might have shot Bingo Long as well. I think you might be right about that. Yeah. Uh, he, I don't want to click he, up he shot the Mac. That's yeah. the only other movie that I could see that was uh, something that I'd seen. Even more incredible, even more shocking than A Man Called Horse. The return of a man called Horse. Well, it better be. And right next to right next to the return of a man called Horse is the return of the tall blonde man with one black shoe. <laughs> it, was a, it was a big year for returns. Uh, Look, you got 
And then the next the year, it was a man called Horace meets the tall blonde man with one black shoe. Now that, that fucking was my movie. Favorite. That is something. That is that is something else. For a dollar at the St. Mark Cinema, you could see The Night Porter wow. and Cliff Gorman and the boys in the band. Whoa, One Flew Over the Cougar's Nest is still playing, held over. Yeah, for a buck, again. Harry and Walter go to New York with James Conn and Michael Caine and Elliot Gould and Diane Keaton. What is Yeah, we that? need to watch that. I've never seen it, but we should, that's, we should do that. 70 movies we never saw in the 70s. Yeah. All the President's Men... The Big Bus, out of all the movies, the ones that I had the fondest memories of, the, the, the one that I was excited about as a kid was The Big Bus, which was like a parody, I guess, of disaster movies. <laughs> and having having sat through Earthquake and Towering Inferno and all that stuff, I was super excited to see The Big Bus, which turned out to be totally unfunny. But Well, you've also got Walt Disney's Peter Pan, and I remember that was the year I first saw Peter Pan. So I, I was there at that revival of Peter Pan. But do you remember that it was playing with the Gnome Mobile, which is a movie I've never seen? I do not I never, remember I that. I can't remember that fucking It movie. might not have been playing. I saw it at the Academy in uh, in Waukegan, and it might not have been part of a double feature, but it probably was. I just. But I feel like if aware. you want to know what the state of movie going was in 1976 compared to what it's like today, just look at this. Look at side-by-side ads. Incredible. We got Ingmar Bergman's face-to-face starring Liv Ullman right next to the fucking No-Mobile starring Walter Brennan. And, and Ed Wynn, of course. God, I love Ed Wynn. Yeah? Wow. That's good People stuff. Good. Like, like I said, it was a glorious time. Oh, shit. Well, and we didn't even get to, to Logan's, Logan's Run. <laughs> the best science fiction movie since Stanley Kubrick made 2001. Now, had that guy That's seen amazing. a science fiction movie? <laughs> <laughs> since 2001 I mean I, I got a lot of love for Logan's Run but I'm not going to convince anybody that it's no. a great movie no it's not even silent running I mean it's yeah like, what come the on. fuck yeah there's no way that this right now can be interesting to anybody like just people listening to us look at a bunch of pictures people have when I've done this in the past people write and they say that's the best part of the show when you're just oh like going God. over what else was playing anyway we're done with that I think we might have gone a little over I'm gonna have to trim this Uh-oh. you're gonna have to do some cutting you know what you should do you should have it like just cut right in the middle of us talking like yeah. just as we're talking about Logan's run it goes beep <laughs> yeah. alright well it's or, been a or wonderful you just, time uh, you uh, you uh, overdub you going ten nine eight seven, <laughs> or I just I just at the ninety six minute mark I have our little end theme and it's like what I fade out on us just like I faded in on us on the last. <laughs>